Do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. That's a saying I heard, I don't know, from some libertarian economist a while ago. And actually, I don't know if it was a, a libertarian or not, but I did hear it, I believe, during the Soho Forums debates. Anyway, that's not important. What's important right now is that I'm MJ, I love comics, and right now I want to talk about Fantastic Four issue number one. Um, I had a hard time coming up with a title for this. I had a hard time reading this. It's been maybe three weeks or so since I put up my last review of a comic book. <laughs> and in that time, I have been unable to complete reading the 26 pages of Fantastic Four. And that's 25 pages because the first page of those 26 is the cover, which does have some text on it, mind you. But, uh... It was shocking to me that it took me that long to read. And I think I delayed reviewing the comic this time because I really wanted to get the whole full experience of reading the thing cover to cover and then uh, thinking about it some and then reviewing it. And I realized that that's not necessarily something I'm going to be able to do this time. So I'm gonna go for brevity because as Shakespeare said, brevity is the soul of wit. So, here I go. <laughs> to philosophize a little bit more before I really get into the heart of the review, uh, there's a, another line from The Ten Commandments, which is one of my favorite movies, uh, which is, ambition knows no father. And Ramsey says that to the Pharaoh as, uh, you know, Moses is coming along and he basically is saying, hey, dad, Moses or uncle? Like, who is Seti to, to Ramsey? I'm, I'm, I've never been sure about their blood relations, but there's something there. Anyway, he basically is telling them, hey, be careful. Moses may be so ambitious to become the king and to get Nefertiri as part of that, that he may betray you. Whereas, you know, I wouldn't betray you because whatever. Anyway, uh, I feel like the story in the first issue of Fantastic Four is very incomplete, but very compelling. And I feel like there's a lot there that can be explored and maybe Lee intentionally left things undone so it can be expounded upon later, but I don't really feel like that's the case. In fact, I'm beginning to wonder if Lee himself had heard, knew, and <laughs> lived out the maxim dictum of not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. Because there are imperfect things in the first issue of Fantastic Four, but it's still good. It's still very good. In fact, it's so good that when I first got the Marvel Unlimited app months and months ago, and I wanted to jump back into Marvel history to explore some of the older characters and basically figure out why it works and why you know we have the MCU today and why people are still reading comics, etc., etc. I read the first issue of Fantastic Four, and I actually loved it. Um, so, it was really compelling to me then. I read it all in one sitting. Uh, I think I was relaxing in the evening, and the opportunity presented itself, and I thought, hey, I could be reading a comic book right now and enriching my life in that way. And I did, and my life was enriched. But, uh, over the last couple weeks that I've been struggling to get through this comic, uh, there's been a lot going on. A lot more is going on in my life right now, but still, I saw some, uh, I want to say roots, but that's not the right thing. I saw the edges of some very interesting dynamics between the characters, and 
I think really that is the most interesting thing. Um, we have in this issue the origin of the Fantastic Four, how they were bombarded by cosmic rays and that changed their bodies so that they uh, became inhuman, so to speak. Uh, and then we had this mysterious calling together of the Fantastic Four of the Invisible Girl, the Human Torch, and the Thing to a mysterious man who turns out to be Mr. Fantastic who's assembling them together to go on a mission to uh, neutralize a, a very destructive force who we discover is the Mole Man. Then we get the infiltration of Monster Island and then the actual uh, confrontation with the Mole Man. And actually, really, there's a fourth story there because the Mole Man shares a bit of his origin as well and it's interesting to me that Mole Man has a parallel to Reed and to Ben Grimm, the thing. And while I do not believe the character work in this first issue was as thoughtful, as profound, as carefully laid out as it could have been, I still see the edges of greatness or the glimmers of greatness that lie beneath the surface. And I will address those in a minute. I want to stop right now and talk about the art before I talk about the story. I like the art. The Fantastic Four all have very distinct looks. Uh, obviously, Sue's a woman, so she looks different from the rest of them. Uh, I found it interesting uh, how pretty of a character design she was able to have. Uh, especially, I don't know why. Well, there are uh, various women in comic books, and... Uh, I just thought that she had a pretty unique look. Uh, I, I'm used to Sue Storm from uh, the movies, more the cartoon, the 90s cartoon, and even, well, she, the, the, the Reeds played a big part in Onslaught, which kind of got me into comics back in the day uh, in, in a big way, and I, they appeared there uh, as well. So uh, maybe I'm more used to her looks from there, but I was a little bit surprised with how 60s vintage she looked. I mean, I'm sure she had a very modern look and a, a look that was very much of the time then, but I thought it came across well. Uh, it communicated, uh, you know, there was great femininity, there's uh, an attractiveness, there's um, like a softness of vulnerability, you could say, but she still also comes off as kind of maybe athletic, uh, which, you know, it's a good balance. And her powers at this point are not offensive. Um, they're basically like defensive or to distract the enemy, uh, which we get to see her do. And it's for more like evasion and defense, you could say. And she would be great for reconnaissance, being able to turn invisible, which they didn't really explore in this issue, but that's fine. Uh, you know, she's just starting out actively using her powers in a, uh, a, an effective way against an enemy force. So that was interesting to see. I like the effect that from the very beginning, they had this dotted effect around her where she's invisible. And it actually kind of makes me think of Wonder Woman's invisible plane, because isn't that drawn the same way? Uh, and if it is, that'd be kind of, uh, kind of cute to, or it'd be interesting to know which one came first. And actually, I come from a uh, manufacturing background, and I believe that in uh, drawings, when something is invisible, you, there's phantom lines which are separated. Um, they're basically dashed or dotted lines that show the existence of something that you cannot currently see in the in that particular view of the drawing. So I wonder if uh, Kirby was pulling from that. And uh, just that's kind of an interesting idea. Anyway, um, Johnny Storm, he looks like a character from that age. Uh, looks a little bit reminiscent of Flash Thompson as far as his face is concerned. And 
I believe that face uh, is something that you don't really get to see in the comics. It's interesting, his uh, flame on form, his human torch form, does not look like the human torch I know, the more popularized human torch, the, I would say, like a finished or refined version of the human torch. And the design here is actually a, uh, is actually pulled from a different human torch who was an android uh, from the original uh, Marvel comics. Uh, I believe the original Marvel comics anthology book featured uh, the human torch, Namor, uh, a jungle guy named Kazar and some other adventures, but that was like in the first, I think that was when Marvel switched from being Atlas Comics to, or was it Timely, to being Marvel Comics, and they had, you know, this Marvel Comics anthology, uh, and the design comes from that Human Torch, which I think is very interesting. Um, the Thing looks like one of the, you know, terrifying creatures from Marvel's, uh, you know, suspense or thriller titles, um, which was really cool. Uh, the design of him is very consistent throughout the book. He always looks the same, and I find it impressive. I'm always intimidated to draw characters or design a character with a costume or a suit or even uh, a texture on them somehow. That is complex because I'm not a very patient artist, so uh, I'll always want to fudge those things. And uh, I'm impressed that... Um, did I say Ditko? I meant Kirby, because Kirby did the art in this. I'm impressed that Kirby uh, stuck with it and had the patience and the fortitude to just push through and have Ben Grimm uh, be a multifaceted stone creature throughout. And uh, it came off very neat. Uh, the way his body shape changes, it's really nice because of how all, all the power it communicates. Um, and just it's a really neat design. And then for Reed, I, I, have to, I honestly have to say, uh, Reed is the my least favorite of the bunch so far in his character design uh, and maybe in his personality too. And it's interesting that uh, I don't remember if I read this somewhere or if I just thought about it. And maybe it was actually The Incredibles that got me thinking about this. Um, but then I applied it to the Fantastic Four. Uh, Reed Richards is uh, an ambitious, driven man He's sure of himself. He's very rigid. So uh, I think it's cute that this rigid, inflexible man becomes uh, somebody who has the ability to stretch and warp their body uh, mm -hmm. in these fantastical mm -hmm. ways where he becomes elongated and um, just able to, you know, he becomes super flexible and he becomes elongated and he's able to change the way uh, his body functions when um, that's not something he's really willing to do in his personal life, you could say. Um, there's a bit of a... Some, some of the glimpses of glory that I saw in this book um, and some of the things that are really compelling to me are the seeds that... I don't know if, they're ever, if they ever sprout or if they ever, you know, mature and turn into anything, but there's like an unrequited love between uh, Ben and Sue. Um, he says at one point that he wants to show her, prove to her that he's the man she should love, not Reed. And then there's also a, a, a beat in the story where Ben expresses concern over everybody else being harmed by the cosmic rays. And Reed, being inflexible, being driven, forces... Oh, wow, here we go. Forces 
uh, Ben's hand because he's going to be the pilot on their trip. And Sue even joins in, and she has this... Uh, it's very funny now to me, um, and I think it was deadly serious at the time, but it's funny to me now. This line that Sue says about, you know, like, Ben, we have to beat the commies to you know, getting into space. Like, we have to do this. Let's, let's go. Or maybe it was getting to the moon. I can't remember. But regardless, uh, no, this would have been pre, I think we had the space program going, but it wasn't until 69 we landed. So yeah. Uh, and I don't know when the cosmonaut went up. I think it was a little bit before, uh, the United States astronauts. Anyway, um, the, uh, she pressures him into it by saying, we can't let the commies win basically. And then Ben does it. So it's interesting. Uh, Ben, goes soft and he yields even though he has this desire to protect everybody and keep everybody everybody safe um but the inflexible uh (laughs) the inflexible reed uh who's you know very driven forces him into that and sue even helps um by she's you know she's not coming at him she's challenging his manhood um basically and his courage and his convictions and uh as a consequence, sort of, of that, he ends up becoming this rock man, this huge hulking rock man who uh, is all hardness and um, who becomes even gruffer in his personality. And that's just, those are really interesting dynamics to me. Um, Like I said, I I feel like there's an unrequited love. I feel like there's a tragedy because Ben blames Reed, rightfully so, for what happened to him. And I think there's something there in Reed that is redeeming, which is that he decides for the group and they agree with him that because of what has happened to them they must use their powers for good um and i almost wonder if he's kind of roping them in to share in his atonement for being greedy for being reaching for his ambition clouding his judgment and causing uh great harm to them and uh, especially Ben. And I, I feel like um, Reed should suffer for what happened to Ben Grimm, uh, but I don't know that those things are actually going to be happening because I don't know that the storytelling was that mature at that point. Uh, and I really am interested to stick with Fantastic Four to see how they how they deal with those things in the future. Um, let's see. Uh, the whole Mole Man thing was weird. Uh, I thought his, um, his industriousness is kind of a parallel to Reed's. His hideousness causing him to be a reject from society, uh, parallels Ben Grimm very well. Uh, also, mm, it's interesting, the, there's some interesting things that go on with Johnny Storm. He is so powerful that his flying and his, his, his heat and his flying, uh, get the Air Force to send missiles or rockets at whatever after him. And he tries not to harm the pilots, but his flame is just so hot. It's, it's uncontrollable. And, uh, he ends up melting the, the planes and the pilots, you know, land safely with their parachutes, which is good. Um, but still the rockets are coming after him. And there's this, there's this idea that like, there's something within this guy that, he can't, you know, fully cut loose, can't fully let it out, um, let himself become excited because if he does, he'll just burn too hot and it can cause ruin. But then again, you know, it's what ends up saving them because he's so hot when he's flying around in the underground that he ends up melting the rock and sealing off the entrance to, uh, you know, Mole Man's cave or whatever. And then the monsters from Monster Isle can't come up and get them and it allows them to escape. And, um, that's all interesting. I, I don't really have much more to say. Like there's, there's a lot of good things there, but the presentation 
uh, in reading it out so sparsed out or so spaced out right now, like it just didn't land as well as it could have for me, but I remembered liking it. And I would definitely say anybody who enjoys comic books should definitely give this a shot. Um, I think there's so much good there and I'm looking forward to reading uh, future issues of Fantastic Four. I think that's all I'm going to say. Uh, although, you know, I do have some panels I wanted to go over specifically. Uh, so I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, I will be discussing those. Okay, so here I'm, I'm ready to talk about visual elements of the comic, uh, specifically citing certain images. Uh, I find it very interesting that the cover is the same as one of the, uh, I guess the splash page you could call it, when they finally are ready to confront the Mole Man. Or I, I guess it's, uh, it's funny, the story keeps jumping back and forth, but uh, I kind of like the creature as it appears in the book better than I like the creature as it appears uh, on the, uh, the cover. And there's something a little bit scratchy about the, uh, the interior art piece that this, um, you know, corresponds to. And I thought that maybe that was the rough draft for the cover, but now I'm wondering if the cover was the rough draft for that page and, uh, and Kirby just worked on it a little more to finish it off. I don't know. Um, regardless, uh, I think the image is pretty cool. It tells, you know, the story previews all the powers of the Fantastic Four, uh, which is, you know, an important thing to do in the comic. Um, so, you know, it's pretty dynamic. That whole, the, the tail, the length of the tail of the fire uh, behind Johnny Storm is very effective for communicating speed, motion, power, and it's probably one of the best looking things uh, in the book. And uh, that's just a really great design. But, uh, you know, I already mentioned the fact that it's not exclusive to him, um, that it, the Human Torch design is an old one in Marvel. I think by the time Fantastic Four came out, that design was already about 20 years old. Anyway, uh, continuing on, there's a really neat page. Uh, so Johnny and Reed get separated from Sue and Ben, and Sue and Ben are running around and there's this, this really cool bit after he defeats this monster. There's a uh, there's some curious architecture in one of the rocks where it looks like it's been hollowed out, you know, by erosion or whatever. And it uh, we get to see them running. Ben's still in his uh, in his hat and coat, um, or he's back in it. I guess he keeps putting it back on so he can have these dramatic reveals where he takes it off. Uh, I, I kind of think that's what's going on here. But anyway, you just see them in silhouette running. Uh, they're all black, like I said, in silhouette, and the uh, rock formation is there, uh, kind of framing them in the shot, and it looks really cool. It's uh, probably one of the best images in the comic. Simple, but effective, and just really good. So, uh, I mentioned already, like, the conflict between Ben and Sue and Reed, kind of like the love triangle that's nascently there, but not really super... It's not... A prominent aspect just yet, but this is only the first issue. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the tragedy of Reed's ambition um, and Ben giving in, causing him to, you know, become the thing. And that's basically all encapsulated in five panels on one page. And uh, I think it's really cool. You, you get to see, you know, Sue's holding Reed, and you can see the care and compassion and love between them. Uh, and ben, ben is watching them, and you can see how uh, he's being torn apart by watching them uh, and watching their love that he knows he can't be a part of and that he, you know, is so mad at Reed because 
you think about it, Ben, if he's, you know, pining for Sue, he could have just lost her and it could have all been Reed's fault and his fault for giving in and agreeing to go and do this, which it'll be also be interesting to see if Ben struggles with being the thing and if he just takes ownership of it or if he beats himself up for giving in and yielding and for, you know, having all their lives um, forever changed by this. Anyway, it's just, it's a really cool uh, half of a page or it's really more like two thirds of the page. Um, but it just, there's just so much there and it, it kind of encapsulates all of the story in a single page, uh, which I think is pretty neat. Uh, I mentioned earlier Johnny flying around and accidentally burning the planes. That's just such a cool image and it looks so great. Um, and there's something about seeing the guys in the background, um, like from their parachutes, you can see two guys parachuting down uh, to safety. And one of them is like way in the, in the far background. I guess one's mid ground and Johnny's like, you know, foreground. Um, and it's just, it's really cool. Uh, then there's, it's funny to me that there were multiple splash pages. There's, uh, as they're going through different chunks of the story, we get to see, I think it's once Reed and Johnny have, um, yeah, it's once Reed and Johnny are separated, uh, that Sue's becoming, uh, visible again, um, from head to toe. And all of one complete here, her left thigh, um, and her right thigh are so differently sized from each other and her right arm and left arm um, are basically proportional to each other. It looks the same uh, that I think uh, either that was the style of women's clothing at the time, which I don't think is the case, or uh, it just, it's a janky drawing and, you know, doing all these illustrations in the book, um, you know, the king, <laughs> the king just got a little tired and, uh, you know, rushed this one off or whatever, because I think Objectively, if you looked at that, uh, you could criticize the art for not being that great on that particular panel. So, I'm going to move on from there. Uh, I really enjoy how weird all the Fantastic Four's powers are, and while Reed is definitely uh, my least favorite, as Mr. Fantastic, the things that he can do with his body are really neat. And there's actually, you know, so two things here. Uh, there's a great shot of them falling down. Again, it's silhouette. There's uh, black, uh, black, craggy sides of this um, canyon, gorge, whatever that they're falling into, tunnel perhaps, and then there's large rocks falling with them, the background is gray, and then the men are uh, in black uh, silhouette with just a shade of lighting on, on one of them as they're falling, and it's just such a beautiful image, it looks amazing, uh, it looks fantastic you could say, and then Reed catches Johnny and uh, turns himself into a parachute so that they have a nice soft landing down to the ground. And then I don't know if this is funny or cool or what, but you know, I mentioned the fact that uh, Ben keeps putting on, and they're on Monster Isle, but he keeps putting his hat and coat back on. And I said, seemingly so that he could strip it off and reveal himself uh, for a fight and have it be dramatic and, and have a dramatic pose to it. Well, Kirby does this really interesting thing where Ben, uh, you're not seeing him reach to his chest or pull it off, you're just seeing his hat on the floor in front of him and his coat sloughing off. It's down one shoulder more than the other. Uh, and it's, it's just falling from his right shoulder. Um, as if you can just imagine him having shrugged and it's falling down. Uh, and it's just a, it's a silly image, but it's also very cool. Um, the thing looks the least human he has throughout the entire issue at this point. And, uh, he looks powerful and and sad. <laughs> um, you know, his name's Ben Grimm. I don't know if that was a, a joke 
because uh, he is a gruff kind of salty character. Um, you know, I, maybe that was the maybe that was Lee's intention with him. I'm not sure, but he's got like a scowl or almost a frown, like he's sad that he has to shed his coat and hat and you know stop resembling a man and start looking like a thing and you know like a creature and he's doing it so he can you know best these creatures and I don't know there's just there's all this pathos and maybe it's because I know uh, more about the Fantastic Four than I you know than somebody who would have been reading this for the first time on their own um, but gosh I don't know there's just like, there's such pathos in uh, this single image and you know there's also been context provided throughout the book about you know him forever having to look like this thing now um, that it's just it's really compelling and interesting so anyway uh, that's pretty much all I have to say I'm really gonna go ahead and end the review here uh, thanks for sticking with me I'm trying something new with my format of this trying to be a little less rigid have a little more fun with it uh, make the process more enjoyable and also make it so I'm not lagging so much between episodes so because uh, I, I really do enjoy reading all these Marvel comics and I want to get dig into the roots of this old stuff and see just what was so good about it. And uh, I feel like I was able to, to do that in talking about Fantastic Four this time. So anyway, uh, thank you for sticking around. Uh, I'm actually going to just go ahead and informally end this episode asking you that if you're checking this out on YouTube that you uh, like, share, subscribe, ask me questions in the comments or, or make a comment about my performance this episode or the sound quality even. Um, I experimented with a recording while I was driving and it worked before. This time I felt like it wasn't as great, wasn't as smooth. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say. Uh, thanks for sticking around. You can check out more of my work at mjmunoz.com. I have various podcasts there. Uh, I'm a writer, so I have writing projects there. There's some art there you can find as well. Um, and that's all I have to say. So uh, take care and uh, be well. <laughs>